This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Kenyan Hosted Podcast. My name is Erika Suma, I will be your host today. In today's show, we have Ms. Catherine Musakali. Ms. Catherine Musakali is an advocate of the High Court of Kenya and the field of the Institute of Public Sectors of Kenya. She's the founder of Dorian Associates, a firm specializing in governance matters and commercial legal consultancies. Ms. Catherine is also a judge on the upcoming Angaza Awards, uh, which has been organized by, by the Kenyan Hosted and Radioscope Consultant. Ms. Catherine, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Eric, and thank you for having me this afternoon. Okay, maybe you can uh, introduce yourself to our audience and tell them about what you do and generally about yourself. So, thank you, Eric. As you have said, I'm an advocate of the High Court of Kenya, but I consider myself an advocate who has veered off more towards uh, corporate governance. I love, 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 love corporate governance to bits, and that's why I do a lot of corporate governance. Um, I worked for a company called Shell, now known as Vivo Energy, for a period of about 15 years, rising to the position of their head of legal and company secretary. And I was also in charge of their legal matters across East Africa and North Africa as well. And when I left Shell, I knew that I wanted to do nothing else but uh, corporate governance. So I then worked very closely with the Institute of Certified Secretaries, where I became the chair of that institute. And when I was there as the chair of the institute, I was then invited by the SCAC. SCAC is the State Corporations Advisory Committee, which is a committee in charge of all the state corporations in Kenya. And I was asked by them to lead uh, the development of a code of corporate governance for state corporations. Uh, And then so I put together a team of about four people who then developed that code under my guidance. And after we put together that code of corporate governance, which is called Muongozo, I am sure that some of you have come across that code. I was invited by the Capital Markets Authority, Kenya, to also lead the process of developing the code of corporate governance for issuers of securities in Kenya, which are listed companies in Kenya. So again, we developed that code of corporate governance for issuers of securities in Kenya. And then lastly, the Institute asked me to lead the development of a separate code of corporate governance for private companies in Kenya, which I did. And as I was going through those three major, major projects, uh, one of the things that kept on coming into my head was we were talking about diversity on boards, but I was not clear about any initiatives in the country that were sorting out the question of when we talk about particularly gender diversity, where do you find the women? How do you encourage them into board leadership, so on and so forth. And so I decided I'll get a few friends together, which I did, and we set up an organization called the Women on Boards Network which is focused on improving diversity on our boards in Kenya, making sure that uh, we have a crop of board-ready women who can be appointed to boards. Because many times when you speak to people about uh, ensuring that their boards are diverse, 
the question they have for you is where do we find the women? And so we said we will develop this database of board ready women who can then be appointed to boards, both in the public and private sector. But at the same time that we would also work towards building the capacity of these women. And so right now I run a consultancy firm called Dorian Associates, which is focused on corporate governance. Uh, working a lot with boards of institutions, working a lot with senior management to improve corporate governance practices and policies in organizations. But as my CSR, I then run this Women on Boards Network to fill that gap or to improve diversity on boards. So in a nutshell, Eric, that is who I am and that is what I love to do. Speaking of uh, diversity in the boardroom, Maybe you can speak a little about the importance of just having that sort of diversity in both, not just from a board level, but even in the management, and mm -hmm. the importance of the same to general stakeholders in the corporate world. So this will be your investors, uh, the government, policy, uh, mm -hmm. shareholders, employees, and the general stakeholders mm -hmm. in the business community. Um, so Eric, when we talk about diverse boards, we are actually saying that the composition of the board and the composition of management should be similar to the composition of the stakeholders of the company. And that's how companies can be very successful. If their composition, just not in the board only, but also at senior management, if that composition mirrors the composition of their stakeholders, perform very well. There are a number of studies that have been done, not just here in Kenya, but across the world, which have basically said this, management teams that are diverse deliver better returns to the stakeholders and not just the shareholders, but the broader stakeholders. We include government, we include Kenya Revenue Authority, for example, who include customers, so on and so forth. So, any institution which wants to succeed and take their business to the next level should ensure that they have diverse teams at senior leadership as well as the board. Why do I say this? Assume that I am a bank, for example, and my clientele is made up of the youth. But when I look at my board, my average age is about 65. Hey, who is telling me what the youth want? because that is my stakeholder. So ensure that in my composition of the board and in my composition of senior management, I must have the youth voice because that's my customer base. Um, when you think about who are buying your products, you have women and across the world, we find that, and don't ask me about who is providing the money, I'm just talking about who is making the purchasing decision many times you will find that it is the woman who is making that purchasing decision. It is the woman who says, I love the way this cup is packaged. And so you want the woman to make the decision about how to package that cup, because when it comes to the side of the consumer, she likes what she can see. And so diversity delivers better returns to organizations. Um, when we look at boards and institutions which are, for example, made up of one gender, they don't perform as, as well as those organizations that have both gender. 
when we look at organizations that perhaps are made up of board members and senior management who are only of a certain age group, perhaps they don't perform as well as those organizations that have both experience, but at the same time, they have the youth voice, which is uninhibited, which is uh, fresh, which has a very different perspective, but also benefits from the value of those people who have been there and done that. So diversity at both board level and management level is critical, critical for the sustainability of any organization, for the performance, both financially and otherwise, of institutions. Good points there. Looking at your experience and tapping into the years that you've been uh, in different board levels, the experience that you've had over the years working with different organizations, what would you say would be the best approach to promote and encourage women into, let's say, C-level and board leadership positions? So there are a number of things that can be done. First and foremost, one of the best strategies that I have seen is when we start to make access to board positions competitive. So you allow both the men and the women to compete for these board positions as opposed to you, Eric, for example, just uh, looking around who sits around you and says, ah, I want John to sit on my board. But if you make these positions competitive enough and make them available to both men and women, then women are bound to go for those positions as well. So that's one strategy. The second strategy is to actually encourage the women to seek for these board positions. Because sometimes we don't seek for these board positions because we give up and we say, ha, but those board positions are just for men. So if we can encourage women to seek for these board positions, then we are good to go. The third point is to actually build the capacity of the women so that they are board ready. And once they are board ready, then speak to them about building their profile for board positions, building what we call the board profiles, which they can then share around. The fourth point will be around mentors and sponsors for these women, um, people who have been there and done that, who can encourage them into board leadership. The other point would be to ensure that organizations themselves have gender-friendly policies. Policies that will encourage women to go for senior leadership positions, women to go for board positions. And what do I mean by gender-friendly policies? Those are policies that, for example, will not make me say, my kids are of a certain age, I'm going to drop off working so that I can look after my kids. How can you encourage me to continue working, but at the same time, I am able to look after my kids so that I can keep going up the career ladder? Some of those gender-friendly policies will include things like a job share. A job share is you give me an opportunity, if I want to dedicate only 50% to working, that I am able to do my 50% and at the same time, I use my 50% perhaps to look after my family. That would be one. The second one, which we have learned very well with COVID and perhaps COVID is giving us a breakthrough with regard to this, is this telecommuting. That I don't have to leave home to go to work. 
And because of that, many women will also be encouraged to continue working as opposed to splitting between their family responsibilities and their job responsibilities. Why do I say this? Um, sometimes we find that uh, men will find jobs, perhaps say they find a job outside Kenya. By the way, the lady might know that the husband has found a job outside Kenya when it's like, honey, let's pack and go. And that time, the woman has to put her career on the hold so that she can be with the family. Now, if there is telecommuting, she doesn't have to do that. She can still follow her husband wherever he is. And by the way, there are men who follow their wives as well. I'm not saying that it is only one way, but she can actually do that. The third one, things, uh, simple things like what the law has asked us to do, which is having a crash at the workplace. So I can work and look after my baby at the same time. When you think about companies such as Safaricom and why they have performed so well, uh, Safaricom did not wait for the law to be in place that says have a breastfeeding room, have a crash. They had a crash way before and that crash surprisingly was being used by both men and women. So there are fathers who would come with their kids to work but there are also mothers who would come with their kids to work. So if that uh, policy can be improved, that will be uh, very, very useful. Of course, the last one is ensuring that the constitutional provisions with regard to two-thirds gender rule is enforced, not just in public offices, but also in private organizations as well. Places like Sweden, Norway have in place what we call quotas, so enforcing those quarters, uh, positions that must be occupied by women. But I must add that those quarters must only last for as long as we are trying to correct the historical injustice. And at the same time, it must be made very, very clear that the quarters are not there to promote women who are not deserving, but quarters are there to promote women who are deserving, but perhaps they have not had the opportunity, the breakthrough to get to that position. And that is what equity is about. Equity is not about equality. Equity is about providing opportunities for all people to succeed, irrespective of what their position in life is. So if I need a little more support, you give me a little more support so that I can succeed. If I don't need as much support, then you will build a program around me that doesn't give me that much support because I'm able to get there. So those are the five points that I can quickly talk about in terms of getting women into board leadership as well as senior leadership positions within organizations. Looking at the work that you do at the Women on Boards Network Initiative, I see that it's generally promote the next generation of board members and make it a bit more diverse and, and better balanced. You can speak about maybe the achievements that you guys have achieved so far and, and something around how many women you've trained and placed in board positions. Thank you, Eric. So let me just say that the Women on Boards Network was launched in uh, 2014. Uh, we started off with just about the four of us who are the founder members. Um, over the years, we now have a membership of close to a thousand members. 
In terms of our circulation, and by circulation I mean that we have thought leadership pieces that we share with our members, newsletters, so on and so forth that we share with our members, we are actually circulating in excess of uh, 3,000 people who we share our pieces with. Now in terms of board positions, since we began the network in 2014, we have had uh, great strides in getting women appointed to boards. And I was just checking earlier today, and I have found that we have done in excess of 70 positions wow. to date. It takes time, but I think it is one step at a time. This year alone, we have had uh, quite a huge success in terms of just encouraging and getting our members to get into board leadership. So. Slowly, the traction is, we are gaining traction. And as we become known as an organization who can make these ladies available, then we are getting more partnerships that we can work with in order to support women into boards. Thank you. In our initiative as the Angaza Awards, one of the things that we are very keen on is generally how do we, given that women are represented from a board and generally from a management level in most of the large cap firms and even mid cap uh, companies with most of the senior leadership positions in the financial services companies I think women hold very few, uh, I think fewer than a quarter positions and part of the Angaza Awards team is generally how do we identify some of these women so that we can recognize these people who are steering and shaping the financial services industry in Kenya. And I think that's one of our motivation and how do we raise awareness about some of this is on women, not just on the board level, but even at the management level. So maybe you can speak about what got you excited when you approached to be a judge and why you think it's very important what you're looking forward to in the Angazawas. Thank you, Eric. I am so, so excited about the Angaza Awards and even just starting with the name itself, Angaza. Uh, meaning that we have these women in the financial services sector who have been real movers and shakers in the sector, but whose contribution over the years perhaps has not been recognized. So for me, Angaza Awards are that opportunity for us to highlight the contribution of these very, very good and well-performing ladies over the years it is an opportunity just to recognize their contribution and what they have been doing in the sector. And from where I sit as the chair of Women on Boards, I have been interacting with, with some of these women and they are doing great, great things. So this is for me an opportunity to just highlight them, but not just them. For me, I'm thinking about the future. I am thinking about that young girl in the village who doesn't have a very good picture of where her future is leading her to. So when these young people see women who are succeeding, see women who are winning awards, they know that it can be done. They know that they only need to work hard to get where these women have gotten. And when they hear the stories of these women, some of whom have very humble backgrounds similar to theirs, they become encouraged. So I see Angaza Awards as a sustainability medium for the future, a way in which we can encourage our young ones 
right from where they are in uh, maybe grade four, grade three, wherever, just telling them that it can be done and it should be done and that they should be aiming for greatness. That for me is what Angaza Awards is and that is what makes it so, so powerful. So let's highlight the contribution of these women, what they have been doing in the sector and encourage those other women who will look up to them for guidance as role models, so on and so forth. Because one of the things that we miss as women are role models. So these women that we shall recognize will be role models for us and they will be doing the future of this country a great service in terms of just getting people to see what they are doing and to understand what needs to be done in order to succeed going forward. That's it for today, guys. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Ms. Catherine, in today's episode. And we're looking forward to more podcasts in the coming. Thank you very much. <laughs>